Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Malachi again, this time uh, the third chapter, and starting with the 16th verse. Last book in the Old Testament, last chapter, and the 16th verse. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day, of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We read something of the background of this passage this morning as we saw that the attitude of the people of Malachi's day in Israel was that it didn't pay to serve God. As they stated it in verses 14 and 15, ye have said, God charges them, ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully or in penitence before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. In other words, he, he, he charges them with this attitude, that it really doesn't pay a man to walk humbly before God and to serve him. If you walk humbly before God and serve him, you'll only be trampled upon. The man who really is happy is the proud man. The man who really is set up, who makes a success of life, is one who does wickedness. He, he steps over men and over boundaries uh, and over God's laws to get what he wants. And those that tempt God by such an action are the ones that uh, seemingly nothing happens to. They are delivered. That was the attitude of the people. 
You ever feel that way? I encounter people who feel that way, and I feel that way on occasion. Uh, you see uh, someone who uh, breaks all the rules in uh, the business that you're in, and he's the one that gets the heavy contract. Crime does pay, in a sense, doesn't it? And uh, don't you know any non-Christians that are quite wealthy, and they don't seem to have the troubles you have? And here you've tried to do God's will, and uh, uh, your kid wrecked the car, and uh, your wife got sick, and the dog bit you, you know. Uh, ever feel that way? Uh, well, uh, that's not a Christian way to feel. A Christian lives by faith and not by sight. And there was that group of faithful Christians back in Malachi's day who walked by faith. It says uh, there was a remnant. In spite of this widespread uh, apostasy, shall we call, within the, those who professed to be the people of God, uh, yet there was that godly remnant. In verse 16, Then they that feared the Lord... Speak often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. This remnant existing. And there's always been that remnant. And there was that remnant back in the days of Elijah, when Elijah felt that he was the only one Left And God said, No, I've reserved unto myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And even in Malachi's day, there was still a remnant that were faithful to God. Notice their character. They're described as those that fear the Lord. Uh, over and over, this is the Old Testament's uh, description of a true believer. The, be the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, this is not uh, the kind of fear when you uh, have terror or a sense of guilt, but it's a fear that's mixed with uh, reverence and love, respect, uh, the kind of fear that a child should have towards his father. Uh, he wants to please his father. He has a healthy respect for what may happen if he doesn't, and yet there's a real love mixed in with this uh, all of his father. Uh, their conduct is then brought before us. They spoke often one to another. What did they speak about? They spoke about uh, the things of the Lord. They spoke about uh, the things of his word, <coughs> Christian talk, and you notice uh, it says they thought often on his name. When they weren't talking about him, they were thinking about him. And, and the talk was really the fruit of the thought. And it pictures God in a way that uh, just kind of really twists your heart a little bit. As it says, the Lord hearkened and heard it. It kind of describes the Lord like a parent who overhears his children in conversation every now and again in our home where... All of a sudden, my wife will come, and she'll get me by the hand, and she'll lead me in, and 
here the kiddies are all gathered around, and uh, one of them's teaching the other one a Bible story, you see, and we grin. And, uh, but I'll tell you, that grinning is almost to keep from crying because it tugs your heart to hear your little ones talk about God, and maybe there'll be some expression that'll come out of love for you. And uh, it may be child's prattle, but to no parent in the world is it just prattle when they talk about uh, their love for mother and dad. And uh, that's the way the Lord pictures himself here. He, he overhears this talk of himself, and it thrills his heart. And he writes it in a book of remembrance. Uh, you remember in the book of Esther, we have the king of Persia, who it was their custom to record in a book any uh, deed of special of a special nature that had been done that should be rewarded, and they would write it in this book of remembrance in order that they might uh, recall it to man and reward the one who had done this, this special service. And God pictures himself as having uh, something of this about his nature, that he, he jots it down, and uh, it will be rewarded in his way and in his day. Uh, he refers to them as jewels. He says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And when he uses the phrase jewels here, there's an emphasis on, on the fact that these are mine. His, there's a possession aspect to it, and uh, then there's a precious aspect to it. These are mine, and I will have them for my own particular treasure. And then there's this, this aspect of they're precious to me. They are value. When I make up my jewels, these will be included in the number. He goes on to say that he will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. That in the day when there would be danger, in the day when there would be a imposing on men the just deserts of their deeds, that God will spare these as a man spares his own son. It speaks of protection. It speaks of no evil shall come nigh their dwelling, nothing really evil. Not only do we have this remnant existing, but we have a return promised for this group, as it says in verse 18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. And the meaning is that as the prophet carries his mind forward to this mighty day when God shall make up his jewels and shall protect them when others are not being protected, when others are reaping the fruit of their doings, as the prophet's mind is carried forward to that day of adjustments, God's day of adjustments, he says that uh, your, your thinking will change. You will return and take another view of these statements to the effect that the proud man is the blessed man. The man who does wicked, he's the successful man. He says you'll change in your thinking about this. When the plan is finished, You'll change your mind. Now you are condemning God for seeming injustices. The man who seeks to walk with him doesn't get ahead. But when you see the whole plan, when it's all over, 
You'll return and you will discern between the righteous and the wicked. You'll see that there is a difference, a tremendous difference in the way that God deals with these two groups. And that there's a difference extending as broad as the abyss between hell and heaven in these two groups. He goes on then to speak of the reversal coming. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day cometh that shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Total destruction. There's a great day of reversal coming. Notice the designation of the time. It's called the day. Behold, the day cometh. Uh, there's a principle of biblical interpretation that we have to apply here as to when this day is that's called the principle of successive fulfillment. There are a number of statements by the prophets that are designed to apply to certain events and certain facts successively as they occur in history. The day of the Lord is... uh, a phrase that is of this nature. Over and over you read in the Old Testament of the day of the Lord that is coming. You read of it in the New Testament. And you find that in Scripture there have been successive fulfillments. There came a day of the Lord for Edom. There came a day of the Lord for Tyre. There came a day of the Lord for Babylon. There came a day of the Lord for Jerusalem. The day in which God uh, deals in judgment with uh, one of those that he's warned, the deluge, the destruction of Sodom, the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., each of these was a successive fulfillment of this type of warning that you encounter in Scripture, a day coming when the wicked shall be burned up as stubble. That day has come many times, and it continues to come. But these successive fulfillments are but the reddening of the dawn that points to a great day, a day of God's wrath being poured out, a day described in the New Testament as one in which the heaven shall be on fire, the earth shall melt with fervent heat, The works that are therein shall be burned up. A day when God's Son, the Lord Jesus, shall descend from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and obey not the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of these successive fulfillments that have occurred and do occur even today, but point toward this great and final day that is coming. There is a reversal coming, and he goes on uh, with this description of the events. Uh, He says, uh, and if we could get the feel of the language here, it comes, burning like a furnace. The wicked proud are stubble. The day burns them. This is short expletive is the way this is phrased in the Hebrew as he gets some view of this day that's coming. 
There will be retribution to the wicked. There will be a rising of the Son of Righteousness to those that have walked humbly with the Lord. As he says in verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Retribution to one. And the rising of uh, the spiritual light of your spiritual heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall come with healing in his wings, with comfort for his own, and with protection, and with blessing. And he goes on to speak of the joy under the image of calves leaping at the stall as they're set free. And that day his own shall exalt with joy like, like a young animal leaps for joy when he's set free. And then he goes on to speak of the reversal of the states, the statuses of these two groups. In this day and in this world and in this uh, dispensation, the man who walks with God uh, may well be trampled down, and he may well suffer persecution. Uh, the servant is not above his master, said Christ. They've hated me, they've ha they will hate you. If they've persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, what shall they call the servant? And for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are led as sheep to the slaughters. Yes, this is the lot of the Christian in this period of time. But there will be a great reversal of the states that will come. As he says in verse 3, Ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And he goes on to speak of what we must do in the meantime. There's a remembrance needed, a remembrance of his revealed will. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all of my people, for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Do you want to be prepared for that day? Then remember the law. Remember to do my will. And not that any man could stand in that great day, on the basis of how well he had kept God's law, for none have kept it. And you remember that right in the heart of these statutes which he gave was the statute about offering the great sacrifice for sin, the Lamb. Right in the heart of these commandments was the commandment to, when you've done all the others, and because you haven't done them as you should have done them, bring this Lamb and confess your sin over the head of this spotless Lamb, and I'll forgive you on the basis of his shed blood. True, yield to my will, but realize you haven't kept my will, and place your trust in the great Savior that I will send, that Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, my Son, Jesus Christ. This is what we must do in the meantime if we would be prepared, and yet we must do God's will. Christ said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, what is the evidence that I have received Jesus Christ, that I do his will? How do I receive Jesus Christ? Well, I receive him by a twofold act, an act of surrender to him as the sovereign of my life. I receive a Lord. Does it cost a man to become a Christian? Certainly it cost a man. It cost him his life. You receive a master. 
as if I were to say to you, turn over your life to me and be my slave. This is precisely what it means to become a Christian, that we turn over our life to Jesus Christ. And the remembrance needed is that this I must do, and then I must trust in Christ alone as my Savior. I must rely on his death for my guilt and nothing else. And this is the man that will be prepared for that great day. He says, I'll send a reformer, though. I'll send men to urge that home to your heart. In verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The reformer provided would be Elijah the prophet. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers before that great and terrible day. Who is, who is this Elijah? Is it literally Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament? No. Christ uh, said Elijah was John the Baptist, that John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that this prophecy was fulfilled in the preaching of John when he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sin. We would understand if someone were to say, Before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, God will send a, a Luther. We would understand that not a literal Luther, but one who came like Luther to call us back to the word of God, to call us back to the great truth of justification by faith alone. God says, Before I come in judgment, I will send one to drive home to your heart this great duty of repentance. The turning of the hearts of the children to the fathers. Uh, what this means, we pick up a little better in the Luke translation of this, when uh, this prophecy is stated as being fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist by Luke. And Luke says that actually what he would do would be to turn the children to the wisdom of the just. Uh, the fathers that are being spoken of, in one sense, would be those pious fathers of the nation, like David and like Elijah and like uh, Moses, these men who walked with God and who gave these commandments, that he would turn the hearts of their posterity back to that approach to life, that these men will do as their fathers did and turn back to a walk with God. And if they do not... I will come and smite the earth with a curse. The last verse of the Bible of the Old Testament ends with that awful word, I will smite the earth with a curse. If when I send this man, as I will always do before I come in judgment, if I send you these agencies to revive and to call you back to repentance, and you do not respond, I will smite with a curse. God sent John the Baptist to call the nation of Israel to repentance, and some responded, but most did not. And a few years later, 
they crucified their Messiah and God destroyed their city and for 2,000 years they've been cursed. They walk about cursed. God means it when he warns like this. You pick up something of the importance of Christian fellowship in a time like we live in here. Someone said that when when the embers of a, a fire uh, grow cold, uh, when, a, when a fire burns low, then, then it's important that we take these embers and we push them together, get them close together, so that when we blow on them, a flame will burst forth. And when the state of the church is like it is in our day and like it was in his day, Christian fellowship is awful important that those who are alive get together and speak about the Lord and pray that the breath of God's Spirit will fan them into a flame. There's no substitute for this in a day like ours. The importance of taking the long-range view. You've been taking the short-range view. Isn't there the same tendency in your life, in my life, and in our thinking to challenge the ways of God? God, it's not fair. I'm trying to serve you, and I'm having all these things happen to me, and here's a man who's not trying to serve you, and he's getting ahead. Isn't there the same tendency to call the proud happy and the same need to direct our attention to the long-range view? To tell us over and over, to tell ourselves, walk by faith, not by sight. There's a great day of reversal coming. God has his day of adjustments. You remember David's statement. David said, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was in danger. For I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There were no bands in their death. Their strength was firm. They were not in trouble as other men. Uh, they had pride that compassed them about. Their eyes stood out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt and speak wickedly, and yet they have everything. He says, I've cleansed my heart in vain, it seems, and washed my hands and for naught. All the day long I've been plagued and chastened. It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I got my thinking reorientated in the presence of God. Then I understood therein. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before God, dumb. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Their latter end will be destruction. My latter end, thou wilt take me to glory. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me up to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none on earth that I desire beside thee. My lot then will be so much better. And really my lot now is so much better. I wouldn't dream of swapping places with them once I really got my thinking reorientated, says David. Isn't there this need to take the long-range view and to continually keep ourselves reflecting on 
the latter end. The importance of obedience. Obedience is the key in the Christian walk. Christ said that if we abide in him, we will bring forth fruit, and if we keep his commandments, we shall abide in his love. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Over and over, the emphasis on the obedience aspect of our walk with Christ. And finally, the importance of responding to God's warnings, to God's Elijahs when they come our way, when God calls us to repentance, when God presses home to our heart that he has something against us, that he has a controversy with us, the importance of turning to him. Post-haste. God means it when he warns. God means it when he threatens. God does not wish to see any perish. He wishes that all would come to repentance, but while he is long-suffering, he will not be patient forever. For those that have found his mercy, the terrific importance of calling men to him, to be Elijah's ourselves, and to go forth and to warn men of that great day of God's adjustments that's coming, of that awful curse that still echoes and re-echoes throughout the scriptures as hanging over the earth. Brethren, uh, we have a great task. We have a great responsibility. We have a great father who has said that he would be with us, that he's attuned to all that's going on. He beholds and he's delighted when we come together and we consider his will and his ways and we share with one another. I challenge you tonight that if you've never listened to God's Elijah, if you've never really responded to his warnings, listen now. I challenge you to think in terms of how is my life orientated? Do I orientate towards the things of this world? Or am I orientated towards the fact of that great adjustment day? Am I orientated towards... Uh, the things of Christ so that my thoughts do turn to him and I do speak often of others. And am I one of those embers that's over here or am I getting there with the other embers close together that God's breath might blow me into a flame for him? Think on these things and come and let's talk together about it.